We'll begin, thank you so much for joining us, Parshas Bamidbar, with the beginning of the book of Bamidbar. I'm going to also look at the camera, I'm going to be looking backwards and forwards, you must forgive me for looking in two directions at the same time. Um, this, uh, today's share is sponsored by Joanne Sachs and Tuvia Gans, in memory of Joanne's mother, Sarah Chaya Bas Arya HaKoyen, Aleha Sholom, her yard site is on the 28th of ER, and Neshama should have an Aliyah, we should be zeichet to see Tchias Hamesim. So I want to, before we begin Bamidbar, by the way, what does Bamidbar mean? It means desert, right? In the desert, in the wilderness. I want to read you three extracts that I have from modern literature with regard to deserts. And you should know that uh, some of the greatest literary figures describe deserts in their literature, in their writings. I've chosen three passages, but there are many, many more. And forgive me for not uh, choosing many more, but uh, we have limited time. So the first one is from Edwin, Edmund Jabes. I believe, I'm not sure that's how you pronounce his name, but I know that he was a Jewish writer in Paris, uh, and he was originally from Cairo, and he lived between 1912 and 1991. And this is a quote from his book, Le Livre des Ressemblances. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. The experience of the desert has been crucial for me. Between sky and sand, between all and nothing, burns the question. It burns without being consumed. It burns for itself in a void. You can hear the biblical connotations and references in that. So that's the first quote, a fascinating idea that the desert is nothing, but at the same time, it's everything. Here's the second quote. It's from Pierre Lotti, and he wrote a book actually that was called The Desert. Every morning, you wake up in a different setting of the vast desert. You leave your tent and are surrounded by the splendor of the virginal morning. You stretch your arms and half-naked body in the cold, pure air. Out on the sand, you wrap your turban and drape yourself in your white woolen veils. You get drunk on light and space. At the time of waking, you know the heady intoxication of just being able to breathe, just being alive. And then off you go, perched atop the ever-moving camel that steadily plods along until nighttime. You go along, go along, go along, and see in front of you a hairy head decorated with shells and its long neck, cutting the air like the prow of a ship at sea. Wasteland follows wasteland. You stretch your ears into the silence and you hear nothing, not a bird song, nor the buzz of a fly, because there is nothing alive anywhere. You're going to see that this is a reflection of a medrash that I'm going to quote to you a little bit later on. And finally, I have a quote from Antoine de Saint-Zupéry 
in his very famous book, The Little Prince. What makes the desert beautiful, said the little prince, is that somewhere it hides a well. What a powerful statement. I wanted to use that as my introduction today for this shir about Bamidbar, because that's what I'm going to focus on today. Bamidbar in the desert, the fact that the fourth book of the Torah, the fourth book of the Mosaic Bible, the first five books of Tanakh, is called Bamidbar. And it's based on the very first posuk in that book, in the book of Bamidbar. I'm going to read it to you. Vayadaber Hashem Moshe. And God spoke to Moshe, Bamidbar Sinai, in the desert of Sinai, Ba'ohel Moyed, in the tent of meeting, Be'echad Lachodesh, on the first of the month, the se- Hasheni, the second month, Bashona Hashenis, in the second year, Letesom Me'eretz Mitzrayim, when they left the land of Egypt, Lamer, to say, and then the book continues. Bamidbar Sinai is something that vexes the commentators. They are a little bit puzzled that it was important to mention the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu had this conversation, this intimate uh, interaction with God. Bamidbar Sinai, why does that need to be mentioned? Says the Medrash, Medrash Rabbah, and this is the one that's most quoted, but you're going to see I'm going to quote other Medrashim as well. Medrash, Chazal, an important source of information about the intent of Psukim in the Torah, the underlying meaning in the fact that certain things are mentioned, Drush, to understand something, the homiletic interpretation. Says the Medrash, Kol Anybody who doesn't make themselves like an ownerless desert, is not able to acquire neither wisdom nor Torah. And for that reason, the Torah introduces the book of Bamidbar with these words, Bamidbar Sinai. You must understand that in order for you to truly appreciate what it is that the Torah is, what it means, what it could mean to you, you have to make yourself like an ownerless desert. Okay, so I've got a task for you now. Make yourself into an ownerless desert. Do you know what to do? Can you buy that on Amazon? Can you bid on that on eBay? How do you become an ownerless desert? Not very clear. So that's what we're going to look at today. How do we interpret this Medrash in any kind of meaningful sense so that we can take this lesson on? Clearly, Bamidbar Sinai is not a random phrase in the Torah. Chazal are interpreting it for us to take it on board and to take it on as a central motif, as a theme for the way we are Jewish, the way we relate to God. So, by the way, I believe that um, Carly can let us have the source sheet. Have you, have you given us the source sheet? Okay, and if you're watching this online, either on YouTube or on, um, or on my website, you'll see that the 
source sheet is available as a link. You just need to click on the link. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, it will be in the comments. You'll have the link to download the source sheet. So now I'm going to look at a medrash which actually is very similar to what we saw from Pierre Lotti when he described the desert. And it's the scene of the Sinai revelation receiving the Torah. I have to tell you that Parshas Bamidbar is always the portion of the Torah that we read on the Shabbos before Shavuos. So it's not insignificant that this concept of Bamidbar Sinai is something that is ingrained into us on the very Shabbos that always occurs before our commemoration of the anniversary of receiving the Torah. So this is the Medrash from Shemois, which describes the scene at Mount Sinai when we receive the Torah. It's a fascinating Medrash. It paints a picture, a vivid scene for us of what happened at that very moment that God revealed the Ten Commandments. Omar Rabbi Avahu b'shem Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Avahu repeated the following in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, a tradition as to what it was that occurred when the Torah was given. When God gave the Torah, no bird chirped. No fowl fluttered with its wings. No ox mooed. The angels didn't fly. Seraphim, like Amru Kadosh Kadosh, the Seraphim, another form of angel, didn't say the Kedusha. Hayom, there's no sea in the desert, but wherever the sea was, closest proximity to Mount Sinai, it didn't roar with waves. Habriais loy dibru, the creatures, the creations, the animals, nothing. They didn't speak. Rather, the world, perhaps the universe, was silent and it was mute. The Yotzah HaKoyl. And at that moment, the voice rang out. I am the Lord your God. That was the moment when we received directly the word of God from God. There was complete silence. There was total tranquility. There was absolute nothingness. It happened at Mount Sinai in the Sinai desert, in the Sinai wilderness. There was absolutely nothing. And that was the description that we heard before from, from Pierre Lotti. He said, the silence you hear nothing, not a bird song, nor the buzz of a fly, because there is nothing alive anywhere. You are totally with yourself. You are 
in and of yourself the only thing that's there at that moment. That is the definition, the description, the understanding of a wilderness of a desert. And let me now read you what is possibly the most famous of all the Medrashim concerning the Midbar theme. And that's the one which we're going to look into in greater detail because I really want to understand it together with you to see if we can take this on board, understand what it means to be Bamidbar Sinai, wherever you are. You may be in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills, New York, London, Yerushalayim, wherever you are. When it comes to Shavuos, and perhaps at any point in one's life, we have to be able to be Bamidbar Sinai. What does that mean? Says the Medrash Bamidbar Rabbah, why exactly does the Torah need to tell us that this conversation, this interaction between Moshe and God took place in the desert of Sinai? As a result of this allusion, this reference to Bamidbar Sinai, the rabbis, the sages of the Talmud, of the Midrash, understood that with three things the Torah was given. Be'esh, with fire. Uvamayim, with water. Ubamidbar, and with a desert. Be'esh minayin, how do we know that the Torah was given with fire? Because it says, Sinai Oshan Kuloi Mipne Asher Yorad Olav Hashem Ba'esh. The entire Mount Sinai was ablaze because God descended in fire. So there was this concept of fire, of a raging fire. Fire, by the way, is something which connotes passion, meaningful involvement. The Torah when it was given, was given with meaningful involvement from God's standpoint and with meaningful involvement from those who received it from the Jewish nation who screamed and yelled at the top of their lungs, Naaseh v'nishma, with fire, Ba'esh, uvamayim minayin. How do we know that the Torah was given with water? Shenemar, gam shomayim notofu, gam ovim notfu mayim. It says, and this is a posuk, it's in Shoftim, Perik Hey, Posuk Dalet. The heavens dripped and the clouds dripped with water at Sinai. At the very same moment as this fire was raging, there was the tranquility of water. There was the life-giving energy of water at Mount Sinai. And finally, and this is the key point, Uvamidbar Minayin. How do we know that the Torah was given at the Midbar and that this is such a central and important theme of the giving of the Torah? Because it says, Hashem el Midbar, that God spoke to Moses in the Midbar. So now that we've come up with this wonderful idea that the Torah depends on these three fundamental elements, fire, water and desert. We need to understand, says the Medrash, why is that the case? 
just as these three things are free for anybody who walks the face of the earth, so too, any words of Torah are free to those who wish to acquire it. If you want to acquire water, you can go and find somewhere. There's water for nothing. You don't need to pay the water bill. You could go to a river, you could find a well, and you could get water. Similarly, fire, you don't need to pay for fire. You've got a box of matches, you could use it, you don't use it. If you strike the match, the fire is nothing, and that fire could last forever. Fire doesn't cost anything. And a midbar, the vastness of a wilderness, that's something that you don't need to pay for. Nobody wants it. You can go into the Sahara Desert, and that could be yours. You could live there, never see anybody for the rest of your life. It's free. So too, says this fascinating medrash, the Torah is free at the point of entry. You find it, it's yours. It belongs to you. The acquisition of the Torah costs nothing to those who wish to acquire it. Says the, the Medrash, Dovar Acher. And now we have another explanation as to why these three things are crucial for the acquisition of Torah and the Torah was given with them. Somebody who doesn't make himself like a Midbar Hefka, the Medrash I quoted earlier, cannot acquire Torah and cannot acquire Chochma. For that reason it says Bemidbar Sinai. So now we're going to look at the Svas Emes. The Svas Emes on two occasions address this particular Medrash and try to make sense of this idea that it's so important, it's so crucial to treat the Torah like a midbar, like a wilderness. The first, is, the first piece is as follows. Bemedrash it says, Torah shenitna bamidbar, ma'elu chinam oilam kach Torah. So the first part of the Medrash tells you that the same way as we're talking about a midbar, that the midbar is free to anyone who comes to it, so too divrei Torah, the words of Torah are free, they are available to anybody who wants them, there's no charge. Dover Acher, um, in, 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 the, the, the Medrash says, um, If you don't make yourself Hefker, ownerless, like a Midbar, you cannot possibly acquire the Torah. Says the Svas Emes, It would appear that if you put these two explanations alongside each other, they contradict each other. On the one hand, it's free. You can acquire it if you want it. On the other hand, if you don't make yourself like a Midbar, you can't acquire it. So which is it? Is it free and it makes no difference? Or do you need to make yourself like a Midbar in order to acquire it? Is that the currency that you need to pay? That's the question that the Svas Emes asks, to which he answers as follows. Be very clear. The Torah is free to all. Anybody who wants the Torah 
can have access to the, to the Torah, it is free at the point of entry. You don't need to show a ticket. You don't need to pay money at the entrance. You don't need to be a member of a club. The Torah is free. You can acquire it. It doesn't matter who you are. Aval. But there is a condition. Even if you don't have to pay for a ticket. You don't have to pay for the ticket. To actually acquire the Torah, just because something is free, doesn't mean that you have it if you own it. If you want to own the Torah, if you want it to be yours, if you want to absorb it into, your, into the very heart of who you are, as it says, an elderly person, a wise person who acquires, who has managed to obtain Torah. What does that mean? Zokein shekona chokma, hainu sheyesh lechokma dira v'kan beliboy. You know what? There's lots of things which are free, but we don't have room for them. I, you know, I, I I love books. I'm sure that I could go to some car boot sale, and there's you know. A, bunch of books and maybe I could negotiate and get a few boxes of books that nobody else wants to buy I don't have to pay for them and I could bring them home but I have a limited number uh, I have a, a limited amount of shelf space in my home how many books can a, one person keep in their home how much can you keep how much can you have how much can you own the only way that you can own stuff that takes up room is if you have room for the stuff that takes up room. Just because something is readily available, just because something is obtainable, just because you can acquire something with great ease, doesn't mean that you can have it. Because if you don't have any place to put it, what's the point of having it in the first place? Do you know something, says the Medrash? This is the Sfas Emes explanation. Do you know something? Torah is free at the point of entry. But do you have room on your bookshelves to put the Torah inside? Do you have space for Torah in your heart? Do you have space for Torah inside of you? That's something else completely. How do you make space for Torah? <laughs> The only way that there can be space for Torah inside of you is if you make yourself like an ownerless midbar. That it doesn't matter how much Torah there is, that there will always be space for it. You will create that space. That is a second stage. Stage number one is free at the point of entry. No cost, no charge, no club membership. But stage number two is that you have got to want that Torah inside you. Many years ago, I mentioned it this week in an interview I gave. Many years ago, I heard the first speech that was given by Chief Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs. When he became the Chief Rabbi in 1991, his Kol Nidre speech at St. John's Wood Synagogue. And he said as follows, I will never forget it. He began the speech as follows. He said, if you know the answer, you can say it along with me. How many shrinks, how many 
therapist does it take to change a light bulb? One. But the light bulb has got to want to change. It's not about the possibility externally. It's about the possibilities internally. The Torah may be acquirable, but are you able to acquire it? That is something that's personal to you. So that's the first piece of the Swas Emes, which he ends The only way that it's possible for you to acquire Torah and for it to become a part of who you are is to immerse yourself in it and to involve yourself in its study and its practice. Now, here's the next piece of the Svas Emes. The fact that the Torah was given in the Midbar, Dafka, specifically, was so that the Torah could be perpetuated even in a place that is dark, empty, void. That is what a Midbar is. We heard it before in those incredible descriptions. But then the little prince said, what makes a desert beautiful is that somewhere it hides a well. The possibility of Torah in a place which is totally devoid of anything else is an incredible chidush in a way. It's a novelty. And yet there it is. Ki Torah hu hakoil. Because Torah is that which enlivens everything. As the Chazal said, Before the Torah was given, there were 2,000 levels of voidness. Whatever that may mean. I don't understand what it means. But what it means is there was complete and utter nothingness. And... By introducing the Torah into the world, God lit up all of those dark and dreadful places. That is the power of the Torah that can light up places that you would imagine could never be lit up. And a midbar is a place that has no definition, no contours, nothing, it's nothingness. And in as much as a person is willing to accept upon himself some form of whatever it is, he can merit the Torah that is indeed the, that which enlivens your innermost parts. Shall call Dover. Of everything, not just of you, but of everything. Vuhu Hatsura, and that is ultimately the image. How are you? What are you? How do you project yourself? Your image is a reflection of the Torah that can be inside you. The Gamidbar. What is Midbar? Midbar, the word Midbar is Miloshoin Dibur. You know that classical Hebrew has a lot of crossover between the roots of words. The word midbar, which means desert, has as its roots the letters dalad, base, resh. And that is dibur, speaking, 
as is written in another place, P. Pirish Aseres Hadibrois. What does it mean, Aseres Hadibrois? What do we call the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue? We don't call them Ten Commandments. We call them Aseres Hadibrois. What does Hadibrois mean? Sayings, speakings, the Ten Speakings of God. Dibrois, you're getting the connection here? Dibrois, Midbar, Lios. Nidbar hakoil, you should speak out everything. Al pi mitzvah Hashem is barach, according to the commandments of Hashem. Aseres hadibrois, which are the very essence of everything else that is contained in the Torah, both bichsav and shebaal peh. The aseres hadibrois, which is the essence of God's Torah, are called dibrois, which have a connection, a literary connection through the root of the word, to the word midbar, which means desert. A person has to completely push aside all of those other things in his life, become a midbar so that he can absorb that which God wants him to absorb. God's hanhaga, um, his character, his behavior, his everything about him, his characteristics, that which he does. How can we reflect him? We can't reflect him if we take on board everything else in the world. The only way we can be a reflection of God is if we shed all of those things and absorb God in its place. Aseres hadibrois are taking the place of the midbar. And this in and of itself is the true preparation for receiving the Torah. The fear and the trepidation that without Torah you don't truly have something that enlivens you, that gives you life. And all of those other things that you think are so important and are so crucial to who you are, put them to the side, marginalize them and focus on the Torah. That is the concept of making yourself, as the Medrash says, Unless you are a true Midbar Hefker, you'll never really be able to acquire Chochma and Torah. I want to read you a fascinating Gemara in Sanhedrin. Does anyone here know about Yoyov? Do you know who Yoyov was? Joab, Yoyov was the head of the army. He was the, I guess, uh, the five-star general underneath David HaMelech. David HaMelech was the uh, commander-in-chief, but directly under him was Yoyov. Yoyov was the general who commanded the military, who took care of all the military campaigns for David HaMelech. Unfortunately, Towards the end of David HaMelech's life, 
he really and truly let David HaMelech down. First of all, David HaMelech told him, King David said, don't kill Avshalom. Chase after him, make sure he's no longer a threat, but don't kill him. And when Yoav saw Avshalom, whose hair had got caught in the tree, he killed him. He defied a direct order from David HaMelech. But David HaMelech didn't do anything. At that stage, he did nothing. Then, to right at the end of David HaMelech's life, there was a battle for succession between Adoniah, who was one of the children of David HaMelech, and Shloima, who was David HaMelech's designated successor. That's who he wanted to take over from him, and eventually that's what happened. Shloima HaMelech took over. When David HaMelech, King David, was on his deathbed, he called Shlomo HaMelech and he said, you must execute Yoyov. I couldn't do it for whatever reason, but you've got to do it. And that's what happened. David HaMelech died and Shlomo HaMelech chased after Yoyov, who tried to seek sanctuary in the temple. It didn't work and he was killed. And the Posuk says, the Posuk in Melochim says, Vayikover Bebeisoi Bamidbar. He was buried in his house in the desert. Yoyov was buried in his house in the desert. Very strange expression. So the Gemara wants to understand why was Yoyov buried in the desert? Otu Beisoi Midbarhu? Was his house a desert? What are you talking about? He must have lived in, in Yerushalayim. What do you mean he was buried in the desert? Omar of Yehud Omarav. So Rav Yehuda says he heard in the name of Rav, Kamidbar. It was like a midbar, his house. His house was an incredible home. Ma midbar mufkar lechoil, af beisay shel yoyav mufkar lechoil. Just as a midbar is free for anybody, anybody can roam in and out of there as much as they want, and no one's going to ask you any questions. Yoyov was a very hospitable and wonderful person. He may have betrayed David HaMelech, but as a host, his home was open to all. I think that this is a beautiful idea. The Torah is a midbar, and you have to make yourself like a midbar hefker. Yoyov, even somebody who is criticized in Tanakh and died as a result of his actions, is praised for having made his home Kamidbar Hefker. His Bein Adam Lechavero was superlative. No person was ever refused entry to his home. He considered every single person who walked into his home as his personal guest and treated them with respect and with love and with affection. And he took care of them. That's what it means to take the Torah. It's not me, it's not about me, it's not just personal to me. Kamidbar Hefker. You're just one of many different people in the world. And every single person deserves your attention and your love, your affection and your care. And this is reflected in an idea that I saw in the Prihaaretz. It's the letters of Rabbi Nachem Mendel of Vitebsk, one of the very earliest of the Hasidic masters. He says an incredible thing. The Torah cannot stand, it cannot last. Except for somebody who makes himself like a midbar. What does that mean? 
Think about the Gemara that we just heard from Sanhedrin. Kamidbar Hefka, La'aniyim, Ashirim Bedaas. To those who are poor of mind and those who are rich of mind. The Einoi Godol Yosem Mechavera, and he doesn't think of himself as being better than his friend. Just because you're better off than somebody intellectually, academically, materially, in some way in life, you've managed to achieve a better position. The fact that you are that doesn't make you better than anyone or worse than anyone. You are no better or worse than anyone. That's what Rabbi Nachum Mendel of Itepske says. Adarabba, botel bimetsiois negdoi. On the contrary, he should completely nullify himself next to his chaver, his friend. No matter whether your friend is greater than you or not as great as you, however you're going to make that judgment, whatever your criteria, ultimately we're all in this together. You are a midbar hefker and so are they and we are all ownerless deserts. And that is the way that we can unify. And I want to end on this note. Right now we are experiencing one of the greatest equalizers, if not the greatest equalizer, that the world has ever seen in human history. Where everybody is in the same boat. It doesn't matter where you are or who you are. If you're rich or if you're poor. Whether you live in this place geographically or that place geographically. We are all completely in the same boat. We are a Midbar Hefker. What an incredible Musr. This is the moment when we can realize that the only true value that we can have in our lives, the only true meaning that we can have in our lives, is Liknois Torah v'chachma. To acquire Torah and chachma. Everything else ultimately is meaningless in a situation where there's no difference who you are, where you are or what you are. And with that we'll leave it and thank you so much for joining me.